It's vitally important that we deal with our broken cisterns, our frogs, our kryptonite. Those habitual sins will not provide you with what you're looking for. They may promise you happiness. They may try to guarantee you pleasure. They may tell you that they can offer everything you could ever want in life, but they're broken. They won't give you what you need simply because they cannot. Only Jesus is the answer. Welcome to the Point of Purity Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, certified professional mentor, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. This is episode 145. In this episode, we continue our journey through chapter 6 of my book entitled, Are You a Superman? Becoming God's Man of Steel. This week's episode is entitled, Decision, Deception, Destruction. Well, I'd like to begin this week's episode by reading you a short story from chapter 6 of my book, Are You a Superman? Becoming God's Man of Steel. So here's the storyline, and I quote, Dave was an awesome guy. I mean, he had everything going for him. He was at the top of his game, president of a growing company that was really going places. People who not only worked for him, but deeply respected him and a portfolio to die for. He had it all. From his top floor corner office, he could look out on all that he had built. He was proud of what he had accomplished, proud of all of his employees, everything they had done, proud of his little kingdom. One day, as he was standing at his desk, observing the goings and comings of the people he employed, his assistant, Beth, stepped into the office. Davy, she said. The quiver in her voice made him spin around to look at her. Tears welled up in her eyes. Rushing over to her, he helped her sit down. What's wrong, Beth? With her head bowed, staring at her fingers, she answered, uh, I, I'm pregnant. And before you say anything, it's yours. Of that I'm certain. Her announcement hit the floor like a 10-megaton bomb. Dave's heart stopped for a moment and then permanently lodged in his throat. He quickly glanced out the window into the open area beyond his office, wondering if any of the employees had heard. I haven't said anything to Ryan yet. Oh, Davy, what are we going to do? Ryan was Beth's husband and one of Dave's top salesmen. The young couple had been married nearly three years. Unfortunately, Ryan wasn't able to make it to the company Christmas party last month, so Dave took it upon himself to make sure Beth enjoyed the evening. Instead of going home as he had originally intended, Dave hung around to help Beth clean up after the party was over. Well, one thing led to another, and here they were in a horrible predicament. Panic seized Dave's chest like an iron fist. What were they going to do? This was a mess, a big mess. No, 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 no. This wasn't just a mess. It was a catastrophe. This could ruin him in a heartbeat. Everything he had worked so hard to build suddenly felt like a house of cards ready to collapse around him at the slightest breath. Ryan was the problem here. Davy was certain. Somehow he had to get the husband out of the picture so he could take care of Beth properly. But how? Oh, suddenly he had an idea, an absolutely horrifically good idea, an accident. He would arrange for Ryan to be involved in some type of fatal accident. Once Ryan was out of the picture, Dave would swoop in as the hero, taking Beth as his wife so he could care for the grieving widow and the baby that she and Ryan were expecting. End of quote. Does the storyline sound familiar to you at all? If you change the environment a bit, 
you actually have the biblical account of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's the miserable story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. I ask you to consider with me why did David do such horrible things? What was he thinking? Actually, that's a very important question that we should stop to consider. What was he thinking? I once heard someone say, you can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. That's a true statement. Uh, Think about it. You can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. I like to illustrate it this way. I can choose the action of putting my hand underneath a running lawnmower. Uh, Hit the pause button for just a moment. Make sure that you're clear. That's a dumb choice. I would not encourage anyone to ever make that choice. But I can choose that action. I can choose the action of putting my hand underneath a running lawnmower. I cannot choose whether those spinning blades take my fingers off or not. You can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. True statement. I mean, let's go back to the storyline of David and Bathsheba and Uriah. Think about the choices he made. He chose to stay home from the war instead of doing his duty as a king and leading his men into battle. Had he have changed that choice, none of the rest of the storyline would have happened. He chose to look longingly and lustfully at Bathsheba bathing instead of immediately walking away the moment he saw her naked. He chose to have sex with a married woman instead of honoring the sanctity of marriage that God himself had established at creation. He chose to lie and to deceive by bribing Uriah, encouraging him to sleep with his wife. He then chose to murder Uriah instead of obeying the eighth commandment in Exodus 20.13, Thou shalt not kill. Every bad choice he made just led to another bad choice, and then another, followed by another. Every bad choice led to very bad consequences. Yes, you can choose your actions. Yes, there are consequences to those actions. But I want you to think carefully about this. I submit you can choose your consequences. Did you hear me? You can choose your consequences. But someone responds, wait a minute, minute, Steve. I thought you just said I can't. I can choose my actions, but I can't choose the consequences. Make up your mind, dude. Well, you heard me correctly. You can indeed choose your consequences by choosing your actions. So let me ask you to seriously consider right now, what choices are you making? And what are the consequences of those choices? Well, I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to introduce you to another man, a fictitious character that I created in chapter six of my book, Are You a Superman Becoming God's Man of Steel? This character's name is Jerry, and here's the storyline, and I quote, Jerry paused briefly to wipe the sweat from his forehead. Checking his watch, he realized he'd been digging for over seven hours. Thrusting the worn shovel into the ground, he stepped back to look at his handiwork. Not bad, even if he did say so himself. Seven hours of back-breaking work, and he had a hole about six feet wide and almost four feet deep. Now, not nearly deep enough, but still a good day's work considering all the stones he had to move. So, grabbing the shovel once again, he began to dig. Then he heard a sound of someone clearing his throat. Glancing up, 
Jerry saw the silhouette of his friend Eric standing at the edge of the hole, looking down at him. Jerry, what are you doing? Eric asked. I'm digging a cistern, Jerry replied. A what? Smiling up at his friend Eric, Jerry repeated, a cistern. It's an in-ground container for water. I know what a cistern is, Jerry. I just don't understand why you're digging it. Oh, that's simple. The cistern I dug three weeks ago has already gotten a number of cracks in it, so it's just not holding the water anymore. Jerry rolled his eyes and then turned back to the task at hand and begun to dig once again. My question still stands, bro. Why are you digging a cistern? Leaning against the shovel handle, Jerry sighed. Because I need to hold on to the water so we can drink. Tossing his hands up in the air, Eric retorted, Dude, why don't you just drink from the fresh water gushing out of this huge fountain sitting right here? End of story, end of quote. Well, if you listen to that short story close enough and concluded that Jerry, well, he's a foolish man, you'd be right. But before we slam down the gavel and pass judgment on him, I want you to understand that you and I can be just as guilty. You see, God has given to us the fountain of living water, Jesus Christ himself, John 4.14. We have an endless supply of everything we need in Christ. Are you hearing me? Everything we need can be found in Christ. And yet here we are, shovel in hand, digging out cisterns that are broken, unable to hold any water. And furthermore, any of the water they can hold very quickly becomes stagnant and putrid. We create gods, little g gods. If you've been a part of this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk about creating the frogs, the frequently occurring obstacles to growing spiritually, those sinful habits. We, we create gods. We create frogs. In Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8 describes it this way. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats, Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. Listen, it is vitally important that we deal with our broken cisterns, our frogs, our kryptonite, if you will. Those habitual sins will not provide you with what you're looking for. They never have, they never will, because they never can. Oh, they may promise you happiness, they may try to guarantee you pleasure. They may tell you that they can offer you everything that you could ever want in life, but they're broken. They won't give you what you need simply because they cannot. Only Jesus is the answer. So watch this now. If we're going to live in victory, if we're going to live in freedom over our sinful habits, it is critical, it is vital, it is necessary to know exactly what your kryptonite is doing and how you can counter its effects. Why? Why do we respond the way we do when we are around our kryptonite? Why does that particular sinful habit, why does that kryptonite weaken our ability to resist temptation? I want you to understand that there's actually a chain reaction of seven things 
that happen one right after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Every time we get near our kryptonite, these seven things happen. Number one, it all begins when we are lured by a particular temptation that is especially appealing to us, James chapter one. Somewhere deep inside of us, there is an attraction to it. Let's call it what it really is. It's a lust. It's the most critical piece to this puzzle. If you can identify and deal with it now, you will avoid the other six steps and you will be free from the damaging effects of your kryptonite. You will not give in to your temptation. The bottom line here is not to give in to the enemy. Don't give him any ground to stand on, Ephesians 4.27. Step number two, when we give in to the pull of temptation, we will, as Christian men and women, initially try to resist. I mean, that's what a good Christian does, right? We, we resist the temptation. But let's face it, all too often that attempt to resist is pathetically insufficient as be- at best. Why? Because we secretly want to experience the pleasure that the temptation promises us. Now again, watch this. If you attack this right here and right now, you will avoid the trap that's being set for you. But if your desires and your thoughts are not dealt with God's way, 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking captive every thought and making the thoughts obedient to Christ, then I promise you, I assure you, that temptation will grow in strength and it will become much, much harder to fight. Step number three, because the temptation to give in is growing, it's enlarging, enlarging? Let's, settle, let's stick with growing. Our minds begin to come up with excuses as to why it's okay to just go ahead and sin this time. This is the last time. We even get to the point where we, where, where we, we, we start validating our choice to give up and to give in. I like to put it this way. Our spiritual vision is becoming impaired. We begin struggling with what I call myopia. We're seeing things from the perspective of self. How is this going to benefit King me? How's this going to make me feel better? How's this going to ease my stress, my boredom, my frustration, my loneliness? So, in fact, let me meddle a little bit here. Let me me get into your personal space for just a moment. Let me ask you. What are the excuses that you tend to give to validate your choice to sin? Furthermore, what's wrong with those excuses? As we get into step three, we, it's just a little, little step away from step number four. By now, our thoughts are almost completely focused on getting the promised pleasure. We begin, I think, to truly believe that I need this. I have to have this. I must do this. We, we go through the, the thought process of I want, I need, I deserve, I desire, I have to have, I can't live without. It's all about me. We also battle with feelings of defeat and helplessness. In other words, our thought process begins to, to go like this. I just can't get victory over this thing. It's just too strong. It's too overbearing. It's too overwhelming. It's too overpowering. And the fact is, at this point in our thought process, by the time we get to step number four, God isn't in our thought process. Or if he is, we've kind of pigeonholed him into the box of, well, God will understand. He'll forgive me. Or maybe we'll argue, I think he's just given up on me and, and I'm on my own. I want you to consider this when we get to step four. Why do we push God out of the way? 
when he's the one that can rescue us. He's the one that can save us. He's the one who, Second Peter 1, 3, gives us his divine power to live a godly life. Well, it's step number five. This is the point when we act out our temptation. We give in and we sin. James chapter 1, verse 15. And then step number six, immediately, immediately on the heels of that decision to give in and to sin comes two totally different emotions, almost simultaneously. First, let's face it, there's the payoff. There's that brief but powerful moment of temporary pleasure or a sense of relief. It's that, ah, it's that feel-good moment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20, or cha- uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. And in that moment, we also experience the reward of giving in. But yet, tugging on the shirt tails of that feeling comes shame and guilt, right? You've been there. And then step number seven, just to, to soothe those overwhelming feelings of guilt and shame, we'll fall on our knees, we'll cry out to God, we'll confess our sin to him. And I think too often, all too often, the act of confession is done mostly out of duty. It's done mostly out of a desire to just feel better about myself. Oh, God, I've sinned. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Is it one of true repentance? Or is it one of self... um, I'm drawing a blank on what I want to say. Making myself feel good. Watch this now. We need to break free from this cycle. We don't have to go through these seven steps. We need to live each day of our lives in the knowledge that we don't have to give in to our frogs. We don't have to surrender to the kryptonite. We don't have to sin. Romans 6.14, listen to this, Romans 6.14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. God truly has given you everything you need to be victorious. It is only through God's strength that you and I can win the fight and live in victory and freedom over our sinful habits, Philippians 4.13. It's only through his divine power that we are able to say no to sin and live a life that is free, F-R-E-E, totally free from your kryptonite, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Powerful stuff, but we're going to hit the pause button again until next week's episode as we continue our journey through my book, Are You a Superman? Becoming God's Man of Steel. If you'd like to learn more about today's study, or if you're interested in learning more about the Pure Man Ministry and what we do and what we provide and how we can help those who are struggling with sexual addiction, then I encourage you to visit our website. There is a multitude of resources available to you. Our website is located at The Purity Coach. It's all one word, The Purity, P-U-R-I-T-Y, coach.com. And if you've not yet subscribed to this point of Purity Podcast, let me encourage you to do so today. I don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes. Well, until next time, this is author, speaker, certified professional mentor, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry, Steve Etna, reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking. We'll see you next week.